Hello, you're very welcome to another episode of FNI Rap Chat. Uh, we hope everyone's doing well out there and uh, getting ready to start shooting and filming again and um, just getting back to normal. Um, so, yeah, I've got some really good news this week. We have the uh, Cork Film Festival takeover on Wednesday, so FNI at home. Uh, we have a really, really great lineup of talks um, for... Uh, the evening, so kicking off at around six, um, and we're going to have an interview with the the Cork International Film Festival team, uh, Fiona Clark, the festival director, and Anna Kopeka, the director of programming. So myself and Paul will be uh, moderating a couple of talks like this one. Um, we've got Carmel Winters back again. Um, Probably our most listened to episode of the podcast uh, was the one with Carmen Winters, the director of Float Like a Butterfly. Uh, really inspiring person and uh, yeah, it'd be great to chat to her again. Um, and then we ha- also have tra- Trevor Burney and Brendan J. Byrne of, fail- of uh, Fine Point Films. Uh uh, producer and director from Belfast who have made incredible films uh, Bobby Sands, 66 Days um, One Million New Yorkers um, uh, they're just incredible uh, filmmakers and they are also brilliant producers producing um, films like Gaza which was one of my favourite documentaries of the last couple of years um, so it'll be brilliant to talk to them and we also have uh, past guests Tristan Hinu and Sean O'Connor to talk about uh, shorts and making the short side of things so uh, we go be going from around 6 until about 8 and then we'll have a, a networking event then uh, so yeah it's going to be a really good evening um, and yeah we're kind of making the most of it while we can and uh, brilliant to have Cork International Film Festival on as partners on this so yeah looking forward to it and uh, yeah tune in so today on the show, I have Daniel O'Hara, a brilliant director who's had an amazing career over the last few years, um, really starting out with one of the most successful Irish short films, You Ming Asanam Dunn, and uh, haven't seen it re- recently, it really stands the test of time, it's just one of those ones that was always pointed to um, as a short film that just worked really well, and... Um, it uh, kind of launched Daniel's career, and he's just gone from strength to strength, uh, and is you know one of the busiest TV directors uh, working in the UK. Um, most recently, he did The Stranger for Netflix, um, Brassic, uh, Safe was another Harlan Coben one, um, Stanley's Lucky Man. He's he's. Uh, Worked with some amazing people and amazing actors, and uh, it was a really, really great chat. I really enjoyed it. So let's go to Daniel. Okay, Daniel O'Hara, how are you doing? How are you managing through uh, this time? You're in the UK, right? Yeah, I live in Edinburgh. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's uh, well, it's nice to have a, a, a chunk of time at home with the family, but um, 
Yeah, it's very strange. I was, uh, I suppose, the, the Strange was just released in January and I was kind of enjoying the success of that and looking at what might be the next thing. Um, and I hadn't committed to anything and then everything shut down. So, um, so yeah, so really been using the time to, to do some development work that I often don't have time for. There's so many things where you go, you know, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll work on this when I'm in prep or when I'm in the edit or whatever. But actually when you're so often when you're directing, it's just all consuming and you don't have time. So it's been really nice to be able to dedicate a bit of time specifically to, to sort of working on, uh, you know, a few things, um, try and get ball rolling and get people interested. And, and one thing actually, which I've just, um, the the Screen Ireland, their new fund they're called The Voice, which is specifically aimed at directors and giving them the opportunity to develop things. Uh, so that's fantastic. So, yeah, so I've just um, put something into that as well. So, um, yeah, so using the time as as, as best I can. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to getting, getting back to action. Yeah. And when you started, so your first kind of projects you would have written, but then you kind of went on to become a director more so so is this a chance to get back to writing or do you prefer do, are you do you prefer to just have a project that you can direct <laughs> do you know it's funny I, um, I remember someone saying one time there's there are writer directors and then there's directors who write um and i think certainly i was a, a director who wrote rather than you know a, a writer i would see myself as a writer director um I, I think at the beginning so i my first directing work came in, in factual TV and stuff like House Hunters and No Frontiers and um, and I did a bit good long stint on the soccer show, um, which was which was great. But at the same time, through all that, I was sort of working writing short film scripts and putting them into film base and you know film board and stuff because uh, because no one's going to give you something to direct, you know. So you got to create, generate your own material, um, so. You know, as I've gone on, actually, and I think that's still, it, in terms of generate material, I think uh, you actually realise, even if you're not writing it, you can still originate stuff. You can still find, oh, the book that I want to, actually, that could make a good film or a good series or, you know, or a comic book or graphic novel, you know, or, or whatever, you know, so, so. Or the writer, so you find a writer. So sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's, yeah. it's, it makes more sense to find a writer who, who, you know, basically do a better job than I would, you know. Um, I still, uh, I'm still doing, doing a little bit, um, you know, after I did the short films, um, myself and Paddy Courtney co-wrote a series called Paddy Wackery for TG Carr, um, and I've, you know, I had another another comedy idea with him that we've been, we've been working on, which has been been nice, and, and uh, you know, Skype and stuff like that has worked well for that, and then... Um, yeah, and I have another little thing that I I just quite fancy writing myself. It's a, a sort of a smaller thing. So so, yeah, doing a little bit. And again, like you say, this is sort of taking taking trying to trying to look at the opportunities that that come with this uh, very odd time. Yeah. We might go back um, to how you first got interested in making films, um, and then I know you mean Stanhamdon is a real special short for Irish people so it'd be great to get a bit of background on that and how it kind of led to later success yeah well it's funny well, well uh yeah I, I mean my my formative work probably was was with double z doing working on podge and raj and zig and zag um you know uh, first as a sort of dog's body and 
then sort of working my way up. Um, but yeah, definitely started out buying fake blood and plastic poo and uh, dodgy, <laughs> dodgy costumes. But um, uh, but that was actually a great learning experience because you know you're working on a very small production where where you know you're working really closely. Like there's a lot of people mucking in. You know, um, you know there's not not the strict lines between different departments, but you, like in terms of the art department and stuff like that. But you get to talk to the director and the writer and the you know the dp and you know whereas i think if you were working on a big movie or something you wouldn't maybe get close to those people so uh so yeah so so learned a lot there and then as i say yeah got got sort of my sort of first directing opportunities came as the idea of a dv director was invented where it's sort of self-shooting so you get sent out to do bits and pieces um but yeah, and I'd written a couple of shorts, and then uh, and you, me, and Salam Dunn was the one that finally landed. Um, uh, yeah, and it was—I mean, what, it was just brilliant. You know, uh, none of us involved had any idea that it was gonna. You know, we thought we'd done a good job, but no idea it was gonna have the impact it. And it's truly astonishing to me that uh, you know, even that we're still talking about it, actually that. Um, you know that it's—I mean—it's on the curriculum or something now. I mean, it's just yeah. insane. <laughs> And like it's, I guess it's one of those ideas that you know, some of they're they're just perfect in their simplicity. Yeah, I think you know, I think it is that it's it's one of those ones where everybody goes, God, why didn't I think of that? You know, it's yeah. so it's so obvious in a way. Um, and I think it's funny, you know. I think that Ireland's a very different country now. When we wrote it, really, you know, the the idea of someone emigrating to Ireland instead of away from it was you know, very new idea. Um, and, uh, and I think Chinese people were quite a big f- sort of first wave, you know, there wasn't, you know, uh, I think, it, the, you know, I think there, so there's a lot of Chinese people, I think, f- you know, even before there was sort of big groups from, from within the EU. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, it just, it just uh, it struck a chord. I think it, it gave us an opportunity to look at ourselves a little bit um yeah it was it was a kind of a mad experience in terms of how it resonated and and, and how it's endured but actually in terms of the immigration thing was funny so um ingrid goodwin who was one of the producers on you ming had also worked on jim sheridan's film in america and uh through that contact we got you know Arthur Lappin and Jim Sheridan to to watch the film, and they agreed for it to be released in Irish cinemas with in America. Um, so, and then in America there was a huge Oscar push, so it got real big, you know, promotion, and so many people went to see it. So, kind of madly, loads of people got to see You Ming and Dom in the cinema, um, and it, I, th- I think that helped a lot in terms of putting it into the consciousness because so many people saw it you know it was whereas yeah. whereas whereas really i mean like who outside of people in our industry really sees short films it's very so hard to you know as a as a sort of maker of a short film it's hard to find that audience outside of film festivals you know yeah yeah i often think about that because i do remember around that time i think intermission had a film and a yeah. short film before it and uh to I guess to varying these degrees of success, I I think I thought it was great. I always wondered if they might bring it back, but I think maybe there was push back from the cinemas. I don't know. Well, it was well, well, 
because within America, obviously, sort of the themes were similar, obviously, and that, that was a film about people emigrating from Ireland and ours was someone coming to it. Um, I think that I think the duration is a big thing in terms of the cinemas, in terms of how many times they can they can get a slot. Because we tried then a year later, so the same crew made Fluent Dysphasia, um, and we and again we thought actually you know it was you know a little comedy film kind of thought that might find it, find an audience as well, and we tried to get it in front of a, a feature, but it was just too long. So so actually across a day, across five screenings in a day, you're actually affecting how many times they can screen the film so right. so uh, yeah that's you know that's definitely a factor um and from that there then so you you made the next short and um then i know you went on to do paddy wacker i remember living in galway around the time that you were shooting how very good uh and you must have learned a hell of a lot from that well it's funny the the actually in, so in between so, so you do the, I did the two shorts and they won lots of awards and that's great and, and you kind of get to meet everybody but what was slightly frustrating at the time was everybody says oh that's great and bring your next idea to us instead of saying oh and here's a script that you can direct mm. um, so, so again like as you were saying before maybe that idea of the writer director was ingrained I don't know but, but you know as much as everyone loved the shorts that was the, the, the main response was and bring your next idea to us you know um, where I would have just loved, well, could you just pull one of those scripts off your shelf and let me have a go? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so actually where the opportunity came was uh, when I met Alan Maloney and he uh, got me to come and do a block of the clinic. Uh, so that was a huge learning experience. Um, you know, recently with the Screen Directors Guild of Ireland, they were talking about shadowing um, and how valuable that is, getting to shadow another director. And when I did the clinic, Declan Rex directed the block before me, and he let me shadow him. And it was, like, obviously, creatively, you have your ideas, and, and that's, so everyone's got their own. But in terms of how things are done, even the etiquette of a casting session, you know, an audition, and or or going on a location scout. And it, anyway, Declan Rex was so generous with me, allowing me to sort of tag along and, and sit in on those things with him. Um, and sometimes it's just reassurance. You go, all oh, right, okay, this is how it's done, and I, I know what I'm doing. And um, so, actually, that, that doing, doing two episodes of the clinic was a was a huge learning or, or yeah, learning experience. And so I did Paddywhackery after that, actually. And uh, Paddywhackery was, you know, it was a really tight schedule and tight budget. And and I think what I learned in the clinic was massively valuable uh, to take that into it. Um, and. Yeah, well, I, I guess, to, like, learning to work with... You seem to do a lot, just... I remember Paddy Wacker, you seem to be doing a lot on quite a low budget, or, it's like... Yeah, well, it's funny. So, uh, you know, Paddy Wackery again, um, it, you know, it's... Well, you, like, you never stop learning, but on Paddy Wackery, we, uh, you know, had the ideas and delivered a first draft and TG Carr said well this is great but when we think we, should, we think you should work with a script editor and I, I didn't really know what a script editor did me and Paddy didn't really you know know what that was um, we, I suppose we sort of felt how is someone going to get involved like that and not deserve a writing credit um, but anyway we TG Carr suggested a couple of people they get sent the script to a few people who wrote reports and the report that we loved was this guy who tore strips off it 
we thought we liked this guy. Um, and it was a guy, Mike Povey, uh, a Welsh writer, um, who's also a script editor, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago. But um, he, so he became our script editor. And we had a great summer where he'd come over sort of every couple of months, spend a couple of days with us. And, and what he did was he asked all the right questions, but it always allowed us to answer them. But, but what we realised was, you know, his first notes were, you know, you've got to the first ad break and you've had 18 speaking parts. Nobody's going to make this. You know, we really had no discipline in terms of thinking about the practicalities of the, you know. So that was, that was a huge learning curve. And, and actually, you know, if you're setting out to write, you know, to write your first series and, and think about something that might have a, a constrained budget, I think you'd want to be a little bit more strategic than we probably were at the time. Yeah. Um, and because from then, like, uh, you worked on Skins, was that one of your first, like, yeah, well, what gigs? Ha- so what happened was really the clinic, the clinic enabled me to get a, an agent in London which sort of, which then we started sort of, uh, obviously the, you had things like the Tudors and that happening in Ireland, but really they were great opportunities for crew, but not really for, you know, for directors initially anyway, except for, it was, well, it was just such a high level, certainly not at, at entry level. That's why I think it's, it's a shame that Red Rock has gone. I think that was a, a brilliant opportunity for, for directors to come in on a, you know, which was obviously a tough schedule, but it, you know, delivered good material on a, on a tough schedule and, and great opportunity for directors to learn that, that craft a bit. But it's a shame that's gone, but, but such a thing didn't exist. So, uh, look to the UK where obviously it's just a bigger industry and, and opportunities at different levels. Um, and, and again, that proves tricky enough to break into and where, where the opportunity there was, um, uh, Inspector George Gently, which was, okay. you know, it was BBC, Sunday night BBC, 90 minutes. It was, you know, great to get that. But there was, they filmed, that, that used to film in Dublin. So again, I did two though, two films of that, um, which was for company pictures. Um, and then they very quickly hired me to do uh, two skins. It was the same thing. So, it was, you know, it was great. It was great that they sort of give you the opportunity and then they sort of trust you to do more, you know. And did you make the leap to move to the UK at that stage? Uh, yeah. Um, well, it's funny. I I, uh, I remember, I don't know was it was the same week, but it was certainly within the, within a couple of weeks. I had two job interviews. One was for Skins. I flew over to London and had a meeting for Skins. And the other one was for an RTE drama. And I didn't get the RTE drama and I did get Skins. And I thought, do you know what? The opportunity is going to be over there. Um and uh yeah so that was it you know okay so is it yeah and you've been there pretty much, yeah, since? much ever since about that's about 10 years yeah okay well um and what like when you're coming on to a series like that how do you kind of fit in as the director of because you might only be doing a couple of episodes yeah, yeah well i think uh, well that's funny that's something that you 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 realize first of all you always have something to bring um you you know the shows have you know the shows will have their own style and but you're it's very rare that you're really sort of dictated to in terms of 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 the way you do something i think if you're going on to a show you have to respect sort of what the show is um but i think you don't want to get too hung up on i must do it in this style obviously if they're successful shows then they're successful for a reason and the style fits the tone of the show. 
Um, but uh, yeah, it's like it's funny. I remember even again, this was a, a you know a, a learning experience in the clinic. Was your first reaction is these actors have played these characters for three years. You know, what are they going to? What are they going to? What can I tell them they don't already know? But actually, you've although they don't although they know their characters you know this episode better than they do and you know you know and and you're bringing a sort of fresh eye to it and you you know maybe thought of things they haven't thought of and um yeah and i think i think it it it's it tends to be sort of exciting for them if someone's bringing in sort of you know new ideas but again you can't turn things upside down and and it's it's quite a balance actually because you sort of have to work to a brief you know the, the 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 exec producers of the show kind of know what the show is and know what they want. But if you only deliver what they know and what they want, then you know your episode will probably kind of go unnoticed. So you can't without you don't want to do it for for its own sake, but you do need to try and think of things that can just have it punch above its weight a little bit and stand out from the other episodes. And is it important, like our? Did it seem important at the time, or is it something that you would have thought of? Do you have to try and carve out a niche as a director? I don't know. I think um, because I certainly ha- had quite a varied sort of CV in terms of the shows that I worked on, and I know at, the, at those early years of, of working on UK shows, I went from I did so I did George Gently, which is you know Sunday night. Um, Sunday night feature length BBC sort of safe hands kind of thing yeah. to to then to Skins which was like the coolest show on TV then yeah. I went back to George Gently and then I went and did Being Human which was another kind of cool show so I, I felt I had quite a good although they were not obvious shows to go together it was quite a good balance because you go safe pair of hands sort of bigger budget but also cool edgy you know shows that are sort of doing doing interesting things um so i think i think there needs to be uh, sort of a uh, i think it helps if there's a a trajectory i suppose to the to the into your cv um and to the shows that you work on um but i think as long as they're i mean i think as long as they're good shows i think um i think that's what that's what stands out you know yeah what is the kind of important thing thing that you can show to a producer or someone who might be hiring you well so it's funny so again going for that first george gently thing i was i was a bit frustrated and i sort of struggled to get you know looking at the uk and thinking of sort of lower end things like you know that, that you might get an opportunity on and finding it difficult to break in um but then, because George Enley was shooting in Dublin, they wanted they wanted to look at Irish directors. Now, I didn't have a CV that was really, you know, featured like BBC One Sunday Night. That you know, but but so when I got to go and meet the producer, I was all ready to talk up my CV and then say, you know, look, I know the clinic doesn't have the same budget as you know a BBC One Sunday Night, but it's still a big audience for here, and it's but anyway, went in the room. Did not have to. It was, didn't mention my CV at all. It was like your CV is what got you. Don't need to justify yourself. What they wanted to talk about was how would you approach this script that you've read, um, and that was that actually gave me quite a lot of confidence because you go, well, well, like 
I can do that. I can tell you what I think of this. I can tell you what I think of this. And, and um, I think that's probably the thing is to not be afraid to have a, a take on something, have an opinion on something. Um, and don't trust, don't, in a weird way, don't tell them what you think they want to hear. I think you have to be sort of genuine about how you, as a, you know, uh, what's your genuine creative take on this and how you would, you know, how you would sort of put it on screen. Um, and I think that's, and again, that's something that sort of comes with experience is, uh, you know, is learning to trust your own instincts, you know, um, cause you, you know, I think you plan and plan and plan and plan, but actually so often you, your instincts are the thing that sets you apart from other people, you know, not that they're any better. It's just different people. It's different instincts. That's, you know, that's the thing that sets you apart. Yeah. And, is there anything particular, say, in scripts that really floats your boat or like, oh, I'd love to sink my teeth into this kind of work? Um, I, 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 I love, um, I think, that, I think, yeah, sometimes I look at that. You talked about that as well, about do you need to carve out a niche? And, and sometimes I look back and try and figure out what, what things had in common. And I think, um, I think, a balance of tone that there's humour in a dark situation, I think, is 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 what appeals to me. I think sometimes balance that tone is not necessarily an easy thing to do, which is maybe why, if you're good at it, you can you can you can have success with that. I mean, two two of the writers that I've enjoyed working with the most are Toby Whithouse, who created Being Human, um, and also wrote my Doctor Who episodes, and uh, Danny Brocklehurst, who wrote. Who was you know who wrote Brassic and and the Strange and that and and both of them can you know they can write heavy stuff and dark stuff but it always just has a little sort of twinkle in the eye and always has a little bit of humour in it um, and to varying levels it can be for a big laugh or it can just be a little you know softener mm-hmm. or whatever but but uh, that's that's what appeals to me um, and probably what appeals to me in terms of what I watch as well you know and what's your what's your philosophy for working with actors um, well I think there I think uh, I think you, as with crew I want I want I want to be working with good people who will bring good stuff uh, and and I think if you can um, sort of give them the f- it's again it's 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 that balance of going here's here's how I see it now what's your take on that because I think I I personally feel that you want to give people room to uh, to sort of find their find their own take on things and and find their sort of expression of it and and if you know if if you've done the right casting and you've hired the right crew then that's that's gonna it's gonna work and also if you've been successful in communicating your overall vision you know. Uh, I find that much more successful and much more motivating for people than than dictating too much. Um, you know, do it exactly this way. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's that sort of collaborative nature of it all, I guess. From you know that you you, you know you want you you want good people coming in and and feeling sort of empowered to do their their best work. Yeah. Um. I really enjoyed Brassic, and it kind of looked. Fun. It's such a fun show, and yeah. it kind of looks fun to make. But how, how, like, 
Does, is that sometimes the problem with that kind of work where you have to keep discipline there? You know, uh, Brasco was absolutely brilliant. Uh, one of the best experiences I've had of, of a shoot, of a, of a production. It, 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 um, and it was funny, on the face of it, Brasic, you know, it, it could be just a silly sort of caper kind of thing. But it has so much heart and so, you know, uh, you know, it, and, and I think, you know, Joe Gilgan in particular is very proud of that, that, that uh, you know, you know the, the bipolar character is not defined by his, you know, disorder and the gay character is not defined by his sexuality and the, you know, the guy with the stammer is not sort of defined by that. So, um, yeah, that was, that was a really, you know, without sounding corny, it was a really sort of creative experience where you were, you were like everybody was really allowed to just bring their bring their ideas to the table you know let's just let's just make this the absolute best it can be and um, you know and we really tried to make it f- f- sort of feel cinematic i suppose in a way i mean there's probably a sitcom version of that that could have been made um and and you know from production design cinematography you know locations even you know we just tried to to make that feel big um and uh and and again the the you know the cast were brilliant but 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 again you know joe gilgan yeah again danny brockenhurst again but joe gilgan was such a great driving force in that as well and and you know yeah it's really his baby he was just yeah it was just but it was in terms of the shoot it was so much fun i mean it's one yeah you hear about those ones you think oh if the crew are laughing all the time then the end result's probably not going to be that funny well it was the crew were in tears laughing all the time and it was funny um yeah it was just one of those yeah real special experience um and so yeah probably around the same time you would have been working on so you did safe. Which yeah, is we're, first, it all yeah. sort of rolled. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in Manchester over the last couple of years. Right. Um, so safe. Uh, so I did uh, did the end of safe, and then probably yeah, short sure, finished that around March, whatever year. God, I don't know what year it was. Twenty seventeen, maybe. And then went into Brassic May June, and then from. Basically, from Brassic, the end of Brassic and the start of the Stranger probably overlapped a little bit, and then that was the then pretty much full year last year on on uh, on the Stranger, yeah, yeah, and um, like you've done, you did a lot of the episodes on the Stranger. Stranger. So on the Stranger, I did five out of eight, and Hannah Quinn did the, did the middle ones. So I did one, two, three, and then seven and eight. Um, okay. Yeah, which was good. It was actually it was uh, you know real it was a treat really to go. You know, I heard you talking to Lenny uh, last week yeah. or whenever it was, um, uh, talking about handing over, you know, the second half of um, of normal people, and and yeah. it was great to sort of set up, you know, all these ideas both with with actors and with and in terms of, you know, the visuals, to then sort of pay them off at the end as well. It was it was yeah, it was great. Yeah, what were the Big challenge because I know like their those books are so beloved as well, yeah. and they they have a following. Well, it's funny. Well, first of all, Harlan Coben is 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 great in that respect. He's uh, he wants the adaptation to take on a life of its own. He doesn't want it to be slavish to the book, um, because he goes people can just read the book, you know. 
Um, so it's funny, as someone who sits in a room by themselves and ev- anything that's in his head is in the final production, effectively, in the book, um, he goes the opposite way when, he's, when he has to collaborate, and he, which is great. So he just wants, he wants us all to just bring, again, bring the ideas. Let's, how do we make this something new? How do we make it better? In fact, it was his idea, to, in the book, The Stranger's a Man, it was Harlan's idea to change it to a, to a woman. Um, and I think, well, I think the challenge is, I think, first of all, there probably wasn't enough in the in the book to make an eight part series, so that was sort of again Danny Brocklehurst's challenge to come up with storylines. That and the whole sort of teenager storyline is a is a new one really, um, and and lots of other stuff as well. But um, from my point of view, it, it it wasn't so much about the books being beloved. It was the when the plot is moving at that pace, can we still have atmosphere and character and you know not just feel like because because again you know those books you just get you get sucked in harlan again says you know he, he takes pride in someone saying i'm going to read a couple of pages before i go to sleep and then at three in the morning they're cursing because they couldn't put it down um yeah. and, and actually i think that is what happened with the with the stranger i think people just really just binged it the big hooks at the end of the episodes and that um uh so yeah so so you know there's there's it, it's the challenges are, all, are, are probably story-wise in that if keeping a lot of balls in the air, first of all, because there's so many strands and, and not have people get lost um, and still have people care about each strand. But, but also then, the, the main one for me, I think, really was that, that you felt an atmosphere and a, a, you know, a sense of character and that about the place and about the, the people in it without, you know, not, not losing that when the, when the plot has to move so fast. Yeah. Um, what kind of, you were just talking about developing stuff like there, what kind of thing would you like to see more of and uh, um, well it's funny I think probably in the short term now you're going to see a lot of uh, quite contained stuff um, yeah it's a, it's a mixture I mean again I, I I suppose what what I like I like probably sort of genre stuff that like you know horror or sci-fi stuff that's got a bit of a bit of a brain to it really but you know maybe yes it's a bit of a, a thrill ride while you're watching it but there's something's got something more to say yeah. um so yeah yeah i guess that's kind of what i look at whether it's i mean and again you find it in the you know um you know i've found this great um graphic novel about a finnish heavy metal band who have to fight the forces of evil and stuff you know it's great but uh yeah so so uh, yeah i think that's and i think you know that's the other thing i think people are gonna after all this people are gonna want a bit of escapism as well Mm, yeah um like like, what were the big differences in working in the uk because something has come up on the show for for various different people whether to get out of ireland or to stay or what kind of insights would you have having made the move? Well, I think, I, I do think in even in the 10 years since I moved, I think, well, again, sort of coronavirus notwithstanding, um, mm. I think, I think maybe things are a bit more fluid. There's, there's, you know, God, like even in the time, in the last couple of years being in Manchester, there's been so many sort of Irish directors and crew coming and going, you know, Rob Quinn has mm. done done a lot of stuff you know over there I saw him there Hannah Quinn was there obviously John Hayes you know so, so and that's just in Manchester you know there's also 
people working all over it. So I think maybe the so the th- that side of it in terms of physically where you are has maybe become less important. Um, and I think probably it, it, that applies to the whole world. I think that that you know the best people sort of are working the best shows, and it doesn't matter whether they're in Prague or Vancouver or you know Ardmore. Um, yeah. And. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think. Look, the fact is, the fact is, the the industry in the UK is bigger than it is in Ireland, um, and you know, yes, you'll have, you know, there'll be great, you know, international shows shooting in Ireland, but they're not always. There's not always the opportunities, sort of for, sort of speaking as a director anyway. There's not always the opportunities for for Irish directors there. Um, you know, and that's difficult. And I get like Game of Thrones. If that's the biggest show in the world, then they're going to use the best TV directors in the world. So, and they don't care where they're from. So, mm. um, uh, yeah, I think I think. Look, I think Irish directors have to look not just to the UK necessarily, but internationally. And and you know, and again, Brexit perhaps gives Irish directors a, a, an opportunity in Europe as English language English speaking directors. You know, you think of, you know, there's plenty of, you know, American shows shooting in, you know, Prague or Budapest or whatever. So, so, um, I think it's funny, actually, I remember one time speaking to a Danish director years ago who said, who talked about having, because, you know, and De- Denmark often gets compared to Ireland in terms of film industry because the populations are the same. Um, and the Danish director said that she had to be diverse about the type of work she did because, that was the size of the industry and sometimes I'll do a documentary and sometimes I'll do a drama and sometimes I'll do something else but I've sort of found well okay well you can be you can be diverse about the type of work you do or you can be diverse about where you do and I think if you want to do drama and you know or film or whatever then I think you probably have to be diverse about where you do and be prepared to travel because there may not be enough where you are but that's okay I think you know it's probably quite rare that you uh get all your work in the place where you live yeah true um we always ask this question uh is there any advice that you would give to yourself when you were starting out i'll give to myself that's funny um uh i think it's probably remember to trust your instincts i think um i'm quite a good planner uh and certainly when i was less experienced i i would do more of that probably now i would say i overdid it but i think better to overdo it than underdo it um but yeah i would you know uh, you know i would do a lot of shot lists and be really planned for what i want to do and i think what what you have to remember is don't don't sort of the, the plan is really good when when you know when you're you get you out of a hole and because because if you've if you've planned something really well, you if you go, right, I've planned these five shots for this scene, and then you go, oh, right, we've got 20 minutes to shoot the scene. Okay, well, I, because I planned it so well, I know that A and B are the key things that I need to get, so that's what we're going to do. Um, but I think in the the advice that I would give, I think, is is don't forget, in, in all that planning, don't forget your gut, because actually, you know, it's your good, taste and your good judgment and your good ideas that has got you to here so don't be don't be afraid to use those you know even even if you feel you're you've stepped into a like a, a big show or, or or a situation where you feel like oh bloody hell how did i get here 
um, yeah. still those instincts are what got you there and don't be afraid to, to follow them brilliant well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat to us we really appreciate it not at all thanks Paul keep it up